If you're like me, you care about getting the most from your workouts, which means wearing the finest performance gear. You know, fabric that dries quickly and has superior moisture wicking properties. Fabric so soft and comfortable, you could, well, curl up and sleep in it. Introducing Sheeks, spelled S-H-E-E-X, the world's first performance bedding line. Sheeks began when two former elite athletes and coaches had an aha moment, combining everything we love about quality performance fabric with everything we love about comfortable, irresistible bedding. Unlike traditional sheets that trap heat, sheets are breathable, so you aren't constantly waking up to throw off covers or out a blanket. So you sleep deeper, longer, and better. And sheets bedding looks as good as it feels. Colors and styles that can match any decor at a price that will pleasantly surprise you. And right now, you can try sheets for 30 nights risk-free. Just go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com promo code 1212. sleepcoolnow.com 1212 This is our number 1 of the World According to Zig podcast for this December 10th 2017 My name is John Ziegler. I'm the host of this show where you can still get the truth about news, politics, media, sports, and culture from a true conservative perspective in this world turned upside down. In hour number two, we will not have a guest. <laughs> We're on a dry spell with regard to guests. I had a, a beat on a couple of great ones this week. Uh, thought Jake Tapper was going to be on the show from CNN, who I really respect. He agreed to be on, but CNN suspiciously decided uh, to ixnay it. Uh, gee, I wonder why that might have been. Uh, also, uh, Tom Mesereau, famed attorney from the Michael Jackson case and many others, who I've gotten to know uh, pretty well. I wanted to talk to him about the sex abuse hysteria that is overtaking the nation over the last couple of months. And uh, he said he would do it, but he's in the middle of a trial in San Diego. So we're going to have to try to do that uh, hopefully sometime soon. Uh, also thought I was going to be able to talk to Claire Berlinski, who is a female writer who wrote a fantastic column uh, called The Warlock Hunt, uh, which is one of the very few prominent females who have come out against this uh, moral panic that we're experiencing. Unfortunately, she's in Paris and has a dinner engagement tonight, and the time change didn't work for that. So I got shut out <laughs> over three on the guests, and it's becoming exceedingly difficult to... schedule guests that are at the level at which I think is worthy of a podcast of this esteem <laughs> which is becoming a long-term problem because I mean I love the guest hour uh but you know I I am definitely considering that in 2018 we're going to be doing this podcast very differently if we do it at all uh, I can only guarantee for sure we're going to do four more editions of the podcast two more in 2017 and two more scheduled for 2018 we actually signed a contract this week to uh increase or or extend the the lease by two weeks unfortunately they're greatly for some reason uh, uh increasing our rent i'm not sure exactly why that is but uh it's not making a lot of sense uh, for us to do this in this current studio long term and that combined Uh, with the problem of getting guests and frankly we you know I did the nationally syndicated radio show for a couple of years and that turned out uh, you know very poorly for a number of reasons none of which having much to do with the content of the program and I've been doing this podcast now for exactly a year and you know it's, I'm starting to wonder okay why am I doing this <laughs> it's it's fun at times I'd like to continue doing it in some way shape or form there's definitely people who are fans of the podcast which I appreciate and we've been able to have as i've mentioned some great guests that have broken some news and it's has been an important medium for me to to tell you about things you're not going to hear about elsewhere so i'd i'd like to continue doing it if if possible but the circumstances just simply might not uh, make that uh, doable because after all is chumba bag guy a good guy oh, that's the wrong one for my daughter grace this is it's costing money there we go that's the one yeah i knew that i knew that the button was that was a grace button i just didn't know which one but uh it's costing money right there we go that's my daughter grace uh, explaining uh, the situation now with regard that was that was originally about the radio show but this also can be said about the podcast but fear not 
See, I think our number two is actually going to be um, even more compelling than if we had had a top-notch guest. Because if there's one thing that my 50-year life has been about, it has been about accumulating remarkable and very compelling stories that you will not hear anywhere else. And I've been promising for quite a while that I would tell the story of my Louisville, Kentucky professional experience. And part of the reason why I'm doing that this week is not just because we don't have a guest, but because it is very relevant to this entire environment of what I'm referring to as the the sex abuse hysteria. Because I was uh, sued in Louisville, Kentucky as a radio host there for defamation of a female uh, host on a Fox television station that I was dating or had been dating. (laughs) And the whole story is just freaking amazing. It's just, it's definitely one of my top five stories. It might even be higher than my top five stories, but that would be difficult. So in hour number two, I will tell the full, unedited, (laughs) first time ever, full story of my incredible uh, experience in Louisville, Kentucky, of enduring a firing, a defamation lawsuit, Uh, and all sorts of other things that uh, you will not want to miss. So that's our number two. Now, obviously, here locally in Southern California, the big story this week were the rash of uh, wildfires, uh, both in Los Angeles and surrounding Los Angeles. I live in Ventura County, which is the home of the Thomas fires, which was by far, and it's not even close, by far the largest of those wildfires, well over 100,000 acres now, have been burned in the Thomas fire. As I look out the window of our studio, I can actually see a rather apocalyptic smoke cloud just over the uh, the hills. I'm not sure how far away that is. It's probably in the range of 10 to 20 miles, I would guess, something like that. And we've been very lucky where I live. Uh, we've been pretty much surrounded by these fires, but we've not been directly impacted. But that has not... That has not stopped our lives from being dramatically impacted because of forces that I'm not completely clear about. Let me first first say that um, those that have been impacted by these fires, I mean, they're horrific. We have family in Ventura City, California, which is in Ventura County, who um, and, and that's where this has been the worst. I mean, hundreds of homes have gone up uh, in smoke and flame. And there's you know thousands of people have been displaced, and it's really horrible. Uh, but you know, obviously, we all are most concerned about our own experience. And luckily, nobody directly involved in my life has been dramatically impacted by this. So it is with some hesitation. I even mention this, but I, I think it's it's important from from a larger perspective because I think something has happened in our culture which I refer to as cancellation nation. And what I mean by that is we cancel everything now on a dime, on a whim, on on even the hint of any kind of danger. And let me give you an example. So as I mentioned, we, we are not where the fires are. We're not even that close to where the fires are. I would say that the, the fires never got within... 30 miles, something like that, of my house. And yet, my five-year-old daughter, Grace, who you just heard from, her school and the entire school district had school canceled Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Three days. Three days off of school. Because why? I, I'm... We were told it was because of consideration of the air quality as well as the hardship that our neighbors were going through. What what, what does that mean? (laughs) First of all, the air quality thing makes no sense to me because, okay, so so what's the theory here? You're going to take kids out of the (laughs) air-conditioned school where they're inside – and yes, there were there were power concerns. One day we did lose power for a significant amount of time, but it wasn't that dramatic and it wasn't imminent. 
and you know they're you can still go to school without power. In fact, one day they did go to school this week without power, and I think that might have influenced why they decided to cancel everything because ooh, you can't do anything anymore. You cannot have an event where those who are in charge of the event might be even remotely vulnerable to second guessing if something goes wrong, especially when it's in the PC world of schools and academia, especially here in California. But uh, so I don't fully understand the concept that, okay, let's take kids out of school and have them go home where with no notice, there's a good chance that if both parents are working or if they only have one parent, that there's no place for them to go, that they're going to go outside a heck of a lot more than they would if they were at school and therefore breathe this air that you're allegedly concerned about. But that's not really what's going on. They don't give a damn about what air they're breathing. They care about covering their own asses. That's what this is about. It's covering your own ass. And part of the covering of their own ass, and this is where the media has such a huge influence, because we live in the Los Angeles media market, even in Ventura County. And so the Los Angeles TV stations have been, understandably, 24-7 with Fire here, fire there, danger, danger, warning, warning, Will Robinson. And it creates, understandably, an element of hysteria. People start to lose their minds. People start to fear everything. And that includes school administrators. (laughs) Because they look around and everyone's going, fire, fire, fire! And if anything goes wrong, anything goes wrong, and they decided... To have school that day, guess who's getting fired? They are. Because it's the same media that will, you didn't listen to us. We told you how dangerous it was. You shall be hung. I mean, that, that's what will happen. That's the world we live in. And nobody ever gets fired for canceling something and nothing ever happening. That's what I can't, I would just, I, I would love Someday for somebody to get fired because they canceled something out of being too conservative, not politically, but from a risk standpoint. I, I just that would that would make my week or year maybe if that finally happened to somebody, but it never does. And so because it never does, and because people most people are cowards. Most people walk around and they hope every day that they don't get fired from their jobs especially in the news media, which is something that is why journalism, that's one of the main reasons journalism is dead, because to do journalism, you have to risk your job. But that's another story for another day. The point here is there's no risk-reward at all for those who are in the decision-making position. And this causes a problem. So, so my daughter was off for three days. And this is not just within schools, by the way. I, maybe I'm just living in a, a weird existence, but I've noticed when I'm recalling uh, Cancellation Nation – in a lot of different realms. I, I mean, um, I have nephews who play soccer. And they get soccer games canceled because there was rain the night before. What? What? Soccer? Soccer. You're supposed to play soccer no matter what. Soccer and football, you're supposed to play no matter what. Baseball, I get, because if the baseball gets wet, that's dangerous. I get that, because now you're throwing a wet projectile at people's heads. I get, I get that. Baseball was different. But soccer? And, and, and by the way, when this happens, it's not considered that big of a deal. Oh, the game's going to get canceled. Because it rained last night. <laughs> football games. Now, I've been watching football my whole life. I do not recall football games being postponed, canceled, delayed because of, for instance, hurricanes or thunderstorms nearly as much as I have noticed in the last couple of years. Now, that could just be perception. Maybe it's because more games are on television and therefore it's more noticeable. But that's my perception. I have, to, to me, it used to be if a football game was scheduled, you played the damn football game no matter what. <laughs> no more. Now, maybe, by the way, you know, with the case of lightning, technology has certainly improved to where we're able to chart where lightning strikes are going to be. But you would think that would actually increase 
the willingness to take a chance, right? Because you, know, you have better information now, but it works exactly the opposite. Because if you see any lightning strikes on the radar within the vicinity, you must delay the game or cancel it. Why? Because if something bad happens, you're going to get fired. You'll be burned at the stake. Twitter will make sure of it. I mean, that, that's the world we live in now. And so everything gets canceled or delayed. And you know, I've seen this, and this is going to be another, you know, take out the smallest violin in the world uh, example. But, uh, you know, one of the things we did this week when my daughter was off for three days because we had nothing to do, the weather was perfect. By the way, forget about the air quality. Each night we could see the stars perfectly, which we hardly are ever able to do. So there was no air quality problem where I live. But one of the things we did was we went to Disneyland. Yeah, that's a great lesson for our daughter, by the way. You get school off because because it's a little breezy and 30 miles away there's fires. And you get to go to Disneyland. Well, we're not setting any bad precedents or teaching any bad life lessons there at all. But we go to Disneyland. And, you know, Disneyland for me, I'm basically a caddy. That's what I am. I'm a caddy to, you know, help my wife with the baby and, uh, you know, so that she's able to go on rides with our five-year-old daughter. And because basically, you know, let's face it, my, my wife is, thinks she's still five years old. That's why she loves going to Disneyland with, with our daughter, Grace. And so this is no great joy for me. I mean, the best thing I get out of Disneyland uh, is, you know, just being able to check it out from a social perspective. Of, I'm always amazed by how packed it is and how many people have the money to go there and I keep thinking, maybe the middle class isn't dead because there's a lot of people that have money to go to Disneyland. But one of the things I've noticed at Disneyland is they will stop, you know, or to lack of a better term, delay rides on the drop of a hat now. I mean, it is, it is actually an upset. It is, it is unusual, at least in my experience, to get on certain rides at Disneyland after you've waited for how freaking long. And have the entire ride go start to finish without stopping. Especially those that have a tram that you have to, that forces people to walk into their seat. Because that's difficult, you know, especially if you're, like most people, obese. So, and and, and that's why this is happening. Because there's too many obese people that aren't able to get on the ride properly. And... So inevitably, what happens? Oh, we got to stop. We can't have, we must stop everything for the obese. The obese people rule the world. So now, in the middle of your ride, you stop and you get this stupid message. We will continue with your ride momentarily. And of course, the worst part of that is you never know if that's true. You don't know, is this just a fat person issue? Or is this something big? Are we here for like a half hour or something crazy? Because that happens, too. Another example, they cancel the fireworks at Disneyland if, if, the, if the wind is like three miles per hour in the wrong direction, which, of course, you never know. And they never tell you because they're never going to know until the instant it happens. So you can, you can spend your whole day focused on being ready for the fireworks at night, getting positioned, waiting with bated breath, and then all of a sudden they tell you, due to the wind being two and a half miles per hour out of the wrong direction, and out of an abundance of caution, we are canceling tonight's fireworks display. And there's no repercussion for that. I mean, I, I, again, maybe it's just my experience, and it's definitely a first-world problem, but I've noticed a hell of a lot more cancellations, delays, postponements of everything in this era, and I think it's a problem. And I think I definitely saw that this week with regard to the reaction in my area uh, to the wildfires. Now, one more serious, although I, I personally think what I just said was pretty serious, uh, but one even more serious element of the fire situation. Our governor here in California, Jerry Brown, this is just, you know, incredible, even by his standards. It, frankly, it's, it's just flat out ridiculous that uh, here's a guy who three years ago, all right, Three years ago, he famously declared in the middle of the worst drought in modern history of California that we were in a permanent drought. That's what he said. Permanent drought. He even went up into the mountains and showed everybody how there's no snowpack and this is just horrible and it's because of climate change, global warming. 
or whatever it was he was calling it that day. It changes, you know, obviously depending literally on the weather. So climate change, global warming, it's causing permanent drought in California. Now, I didn't believe that at the time. But guess what happened? Within two years, two years, not two decades, two years, the permanent drought was over. It was statistically, literally over. Not just because we had some rain, but because last winter we had the largest rainfall in modern history. Which, it's weird how that works. Weird how in a state that is, a section of the state, especially Southern California, which is basically a desert, that when you miss a couple of rainy seasons, you get drought. And then the law of percentages being, or averages being what it is, eventually you make up for it with a really heavy rainy season. See, that's just the way it works here. Always has, probably always will. So here this guy, in a rational world, Jerry Brown, who was also governor back in the 70s. Let's, let's not forget that. that that's, how crazy is that? I mean, if that doesn't tell you everything you want to know about California, that we have the same governor in 2017 that we did in the 1970s. <laughs> I, I can't explain it to you. So anyway, and, and he wasn't even the worst option we had. <laughs> that's the really scary part. So anyway, in a rational world, a remotely rational world, you would never speak about this topic again. I mean, in a rational world, you'd be run out of town in humiliation that you claim that there was a permanent drought and then two years later, oops, sorry, the permanent drought is over. But none of that happened. In fact, I don't even know he's ever even been asked about it. I doubt he ever has been asked about it. That's how insane and how broken our national dialogue is, especially here in California, because we're a one-party state. And so none, there are no repercussions for that. And yesterday, he comes out and he blames the wildfires on climate change. And that this is something that California will have to deal with, and that Southern California will... I don't have the exact phrasing in front of me, but effectively it was the same thing he said about the drought, that forever... Southern California is going to be burning to the ground. Thanks a lot, Jerry. I, I should send you the bill for the drop in my, the value of my home. Thanks. Appreciate that. But uh, it, it's, it's completely absurd for a number of reasons. One, it's not logical. Two, it's not logical from several perspectives. Let me count them. First of all, this most recent wave of wildfires, the, as like all of them, it occurred because of the Santa Ana winds. Not because of any heat. In fact, oddly, this was about the coldest Santa Ana wind I can remember. It was not hot at all. That was the only saving grace, that this was a cold Santa Ana wind. So it's not like, uh, you know, we, we were parched beyond comprehension, and then all of a sudden uh, everything started to catch fire, and it was 100 degrees in December, and, you know, this is climate change and this shouldn't be happening. No, no, this is perfectly normal. The Santa Ana winds came a little bit later than they normally do, a little bit later in the dry season. And guess what? Because the drought had ended, there was a lot more to burn. Isn't that amazing how that works? Isn't that amazing? So if he had been right about the drought being permanent... <laughs> we wouldn't be having nearly the fire problem that we currently have this week. I realize that's difficult for the liberal mind to comprehend, but that's how this works. When you have an incredibly rainy season, high rainy season like we did last year, guess what? More stuff grows. And when more stuff grows and then gets dry, as it always does in December because we haven't hit the rainy season yet, and things catch fire because of a Santa Ana wind coming off the desert, guess what's going to happen? You're going to have fires like you had this week. None of this is remotely illogical, outside the norm, or in any way, shape, or form the cause or the result of global warming slash climate change. And yet Jerry Brown will think he's a freaking genius. For having said that, he'll be applauded. Oh, yes, Yes, he's so brave 
speaking the truth about global climate change and global warming, and it's probably Trump's fault, too, in some, some way, shape, or form. So that's the issue with the fires. Now, once again this week, uh, the biggest political story uh, clearly dealt with this uh, sex abuse hysteria. And uh, if you've been following my work at all, and if you're listening to this podcast, which you have to be to hear what I'm saying, you probably are aware <laughs> that I have been doing an, an extraordinary and bizarre amount of writing regarding the Al Franken situation. And you can check out uh, what I have done, uh, both in USA Today and at Mediate, at our website, freespeechbroadcasting.com. This week I wrote two more columns about the Al Franken situation, one before he resigned, anticipating his resignation, basically saying, are Democrats really going to do this? Seriously? Really, you're going to get rid of this guy in this fashion, in a way that's this unfair and this dangerous. And then one after they did exactly that, or at least apparently did exactly that. Now, his resignation speech, to me, was fascinating on a, for a couple different reasons. One, he didn't resign right away. He said in a couple of weeks, didn't even give a date, in a couple of weeks, I'll be resigning. Now, there's been a lot of speculation about that, and I think understandably so. I, I do not believe that this is some sort of a, a conspiracy where he's, it's already known that he's going to pull the resignation, for instance, depending on whether Roy Moore wins in Alabama or what have you. I, there could be a number of reasons for that delay, but it does seem as if it is at least theoretically possible that something could shake loose there, depending on how the Moore uh, election in Alabama goes and depending on how the media or if the media decides to actually go, hmm, you know, his denial seemed pretty sincere and credible and his explanation for why he apologized even though he wasn't really guilty seemed, you know, that seemed like something that could very well have happened and be credible itself. Maybe we ought to look at this story again and, and see whether or not the facts make any damn sense. Of course, that's not going to happen because <laughs> that presumes we're in a rational world, which we're not. And, you know, because I've already had people who've been following me on this story going, John, do you think now that that uh, he's resigned and that some people in the media are going, wait a minute, hold on. Did we go too far here that that this story will be revisited? Uh, no. <laughs> The reason why it will not be revisited is because the media has their damn narrative. They have their scalp, and they're not going to admit they're wrong unless forced at gunpoint to do so, and it's too late for that to happen. Now, there has been a little bit of pushback. The pushback has come from interesting places, Uh, some of it on Fox News Channel, which I found to be particularly hilarious. Laura Ingram and Newt Gingrich, who's had his own issues in this realm of, of uh, sexual activities, they, uh, they all of a sudden, at the very last second, said, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Don't go, Al. <laughs> of course, it's not because they're standing on principle that there's a good chance he didn't do anything wrong and that we're setting a very dangerous precedent. They're concerned about what happens politically now because the Democrats have outplayed the Republicans on this. Going into a midterm election year, they, they looked at Al Franken and they said, Hmm. Let's see here. He's probably innocent. This is all a bunch of bullshit anyway. But boy, boy, wouldn't it be awesome if we could get out in front of this story, especially when the Republicans are about to elect Roy Moore. And it's not going to hurt us any because Minnesota has a Democratic governor. And boy, you know, it'll move me, me, a Democratic senator. It'll move me up the totem pole one notch when it comes to seniority and ranking and TV appearances. And if I'm thinking about running for president, that's one more that's out of the running for 2020. So, yeah, let's let's knife Al. Let's just knife him right now. And it's too bad. He seems like a nice enough, decent enough guy. But, uh, you know, it's all about me. And that's what the Democrats did. They knifed him. Uh, and uh, not one Republican called for him to resign because, oh, please don't do that because they all knew it would make them look horrible especially with Trump and Roy Moore now being the effective potential faces of the party going into 2018 if Moore wins the 
the runoff there in Alabama coming up. But um, it, it's very clear to me. It is very. It was clear to me before Franken's speech, but it, be, it became crystal clear to me after Franken's speech that the guy was railroaded, that the Leanne Tweeden story is not credible, that it did not happen as she said it did. And I've written extensively about why that was obvious. It's more obvious now. And, you know, it's, it, it's just so clear to me. When you looked at what Franken said, and especially it really resonated with me when he acknowledged being too naive to understand that an apology and treating his accusers with respect, because as a PC wussy liberal, he had to do that, right? You know, you, you, all women are to be believed no matter what. So as a liberal, you're, <laughs> you're completely disarmed. You know, you're like Woody, you know, with no gun in the holster. You have nothing with which to fire back because you have to accept what the woman says. And so Franken said on the floor of the Senate, you know, it is now clear to me that a lot of people presumed I was guilty of things I didn't do because I apologized. Really? <laughs> this now just only now occurred to you. See, I, I, I got to hand it to Donald Trump. Trump understands how to play this game. And Roy Moore has learned from the master, Donald Trump. There's only, unfortunately, I, I hate that this is the reality, but there's only one way to survive in this realm, in this environment, when accused of anything remotely consistent with sexual abuse. And that is you must fire back, you must attack, you must, del- you must lie, you must distract. Uh, you you cannot back down. You cannot apologize. Because if you do, it is presumed you're guilty. And it doesn't matter if you're guilty of a misdemeanor, <laughs> a felony, jaywalking. In this realm, if you're guilty of anything right now, it's over. And that's what Al Franken learned. It's, it's obvious to me. What Here's what really happened. Here's what really happened. Franken looks at the Tweeden story and he goes, What? I, that's not what happened. I, I didn't do that. But he can't be a thousand percent sure because it was 11 years ago. And he's been on a lot of these USO trips. And importantly, the sketch that he and Tweeden were doing dovetails exactly with what her story is, which is how she came up with the story, I believe. But in, So it's possible in his mind he's not 100 percent sure that she's lying. He thinks she is. But he's also thinking about it going, are people going to take this seriously? I'm posing in the photograph. I'm not touching her. She's wearing a bulletproof vest, for heaven's sakes. And as far as the kiss is concerned, that was part of the sketch. This was a comedy routine, which she went through with and then never said anything about when I ran for Senate two months later. She came to an event honoring me and 2009 we joked around there's photographs of it she tweeted the night of the event five years later nostalgically he's thinking because he's a democrat he's thinking well first of all my record on women's rights is tremendous people are not going to abandon me on this that my saturday night live female colleagues have written a letter saying this isn't the al we know democrats are used to having the media rush to their defense, especially liberal ones, especially celebrity Democrats. So he's expecting, understandably so, that the cavalry is going to come in to do the dirty work for him, that he doesn't have to get his hands all mussied, all bloodied by taking it to Tweeden. But the cavalry never comes because in this environment, it's a witch hunt. It doesn't matter, Democrat, Republican. doesn't matter who you are. If you fit the profile, you know, and Franken does because he's not attractive. So if you fit the profile and, you know, we like the story enough, it doesn't matter. We're not going to vet it. We're going to take it right off the website of a crap Los Angeles radio station with no ratings and no, no news department, and we're just going to run with it. Just copy and paste, baby, because this is too good to be you – know, actually, it really is too good to be true because it's not true. Tweeden lied. Why did Tweeden lie? It's pretty freaking obvious. 
She's, a, she's been a guest numerous times on Sean Hannity's show. She has tweeted at Donald Trump Jr. dozens of times over the years. I, she is des- she was desperate to be on Celebrity Apprentice. She's, she's gone to the, the Trump golf course here in L.A. and shot pictures of herself and sent them to Donald Trump Jr. She's clearly a Trump supporter. And as a pinup nude model who is now no longer a pinup nude model because nature has taken its course and she can no longer do that. And she had a little bit of fame, not much, but a little bit of fame. Now she's looking around and going, shit, it's over for me, isn't it? I'm, I'm, I'm a radio news anchor on a morning show no one listens to on a crap radio station. Hmm. And then, and I don't know the specifics of how it would have gone down, but there's the Roger Stone connection, him tweeting about this before it ever happened. There's the Trump connection. There's the Hannity connection. It could have just been her being smart enough to realize that if she did this and it worked out, she would be a hero within the conservative movement and she would have a permanent place in the conservative media. Well, guess what? Now she's got that. Now she's famous again. She's more famous than she ever was before. And now she has a permanent place within the conservative media. And I guarantee you that her morning radio show in Los Angeles has gotten a hell of a lot more attention than it ever would have previously. So she benefited from this. So she had motive and opportunity. And the story was a plausible lie because it was so low grade. I mean, and I think that played into why Franken was very vulnerable here. Because he's like, are people really going to take this seriously? But then something else happened. And I've seen this happen before. It was very similar to what happened with Penn State and Jerry Sandusky and Joe Paterno. There's a lot of elements of Penn State, Paterno, Sandusky in this Franken story. Because one of the things that occurs is once that initial story goes out and becomes a media firestorm, you're going to have other people that want to jump on the bandwagon. And there's a lot of reasons to jump on the bandwagon. You know, John Oliver, I wrote another column about Dustin Hoffman, John Oliver, the HBO comedian who I normally like. I think he's very smart and funny. I know a lot of conservatives don't like him, but he went after Dustin Hoffman. At an event this week, I wrote a column. You can find it at freespeechbroadcasting.com saying how inappropriate that was because I, I think that Dustin Hoffman is likely innocent of, of what he has been alleged to have done many, many years ago. But John Oliver said to Dustin Hoffman, no one has a reason to lie. Really? Nobody has a reason to lie. First of all, in, in the case of Al Franken, they don't even need to be lies. That's the part that's important here. They can be misremembering what happened. It only takes a, literally a couple of inches of, a, of where the hand was. And you know, over a decade later, what's a, a friendly photo becomes, he grabbed my ass. I mean, that's, that's all it takes. And memories can be influenced and manipulated dramatically by current events. By suggestion, that's what the Tweedon story did. It suggested to every woman, every woman, the thousands that have ever taken a close photograph with Al Franken, it suggested to them, hey, guess what? You might have been groped. You might have been, and any time he leaned in for a kiss on the cheek and it went badly, guess what? That was sexual harassment. You might have not known it at the time, but that was, the, that it was a predator. That was a sexual harasser. Serial. Yet he was so good at it, he never got caught on tape or in a photograph. That's remarkable. You know, George H. Walker Bush apparently likes to call himself David Copperfield. Al Franken is the real David Copperfield because he's been able to do it without anybody ever capturing it on video or or film. Even though several of these women were photographed as it happened. Yet the photographs never are consistent with anything bad happening. This got to the theater of the absurd with the last accusation made against Franken, the one that was quite possibly the final nail in the coffin. This was a woman. Hear me out on this, folks. This is just mind-blowing. This is a woman, a, a, 
uh, liberal who wrote a very scathing firsthand account of Al Franken in The Atlantic. The Atlantic is the magazine that several years or over a decade ago now did a 23-page cover story written by David Foster Wallace about me called The Host. So I have, I have a history with The Atlantic Ma- Monthly magazine, but uh, that has nothing to do with my analysis of, of this story. So this woman wrote, very scathing, of her first-hand account that during the parties for Barack Obama's inauguration in 2009, Al Franken had taken a photo with her. Now, let's be clear. The photo is a headshot. And in the headshot, she looks happy as can be. But they're super close because Franken apparently is a touchy-feely kind of guy, which don't do, folks. <laughs> do not be touchy-feely anymore. There's, n- there's no room for touchy-feely in today's society. But I digress. So the photograph is her happy as could be. Her story now is that in 2009, Franken groped her twice. It made her sick. Here's the most amazing part. You know where he groped her? This is by her own account. Her own account eight years later is that he groped her by the waist. He groped her by the waist. By the waist. It's just flat out ridiculous. By the waist. Not by the butt. Not by the boob. Didn't try to kiss her. (laughs) He groped her by the waist. And to be clear, this woman um, seems, it's hard to tell from the, the headshot, but having been around a while, it's my sense this woman might have had a lot of waist to grab. That's my sense. My sense is that there was a lot of waist to grab. And that this might not have been the type of woman that Al would have been particularly interested in groping. <gasps> oh, you can't say that. You're victim shaming. No, I'm just telling you that um, a man is far more likely to have an urge to grope a certain kind of woman. And this woman did not fit into that category. That's reality. Okay? That is reality. Whether or not you want to accept it or not, I don't give a damn. But that's the, that's the truth of this matter. Now... That The waste thing alone would be <laughs> laughable. In fact, I've had a major, major member of the news media on direct message on Twitter tell me exactly that. Mock. In fact, well, I'm not going to give any more information, but just trust me. <laughs> they, they were mocking this story of the groping of the waste. Except it's worse than that. So... Somebody went through this woman's Twitter account. It's amazing. It's amazing what you'll find in clear daylight if you just do five minutes of checking. The media won't do it. The Atlantic didn't do it. But this woman has referenced Al Franken many times in her Twitter account. In fact, she referenced the specific meeting with Franken in 2009. So this, is, this occurred in January 2009. In 2009, she references Al Franken at least 10 times in 10 different tweets, including that meeting. And it is obvious she's not just a fan of Al Franken. She's a super fan of Al Franken. This is in the months after he allegedly made her sick by groping her on the waist. And yet, I tweet this out, and, you know, it gets a lot of retweets and notice. And, you know, as I mentioned, members, major members of the news media are aware of this. Nobody reports on it. Nobody reports on it. The Atlantic isn't forced to respond, like, what the hell are you doing? Nobody condemned. In fact, the next day, the woman goes on CNN, doesn't even get asked about this. CNN interviews her. She's not even asked. How it is that on her Twitter feed, she's got numerous pro-Franken tweets from just after this story. That's where we are with regard to this, this realm of the sex abuse hysteria. And 
journalism in particular, you know, in general, journalism in general is just completely dead. But in this in this specific area, oh my God, it's buried. You know, it is it is in a concrete mausoleum underneath the ground inside of a bomb shelter. There's no getting journalism out. I mean, I, I learned that when I tried to write that USA Today column, which took a week and a half longer than it should have and required a rectal exam, uh, even though I was the one telling the truth. Tweedon never got the rectal exam. I mean, her story, I mean, not her. She might have. I don't know. But that's, you know, I, I have no idea about that. But, but her story never got the rectal exam that it deserved. It never even got a once-over. Forget about a rectal exam. It, it never even got looked at. It's garbage. And a garbage story will elicit further garbage. And the Atlantic story was a garbage story. Garbage in, garbage out. Franken is innocent for all intents and purposes. Now, did he ever, I have no idea. Is it possible he gave a a woman an inappropriate uh, love tap or something? Who knows? I mean, but really, is is this what, is this how, is this the basis on which we're going to remove prominent U.S. senators from office? Now, Mika Brzezinski from Morning Joe and MSNBC, she had the audacity to say, you know, it's kind of weird that we um, accepted this Leanne Tweeden story, who's a nude model <laughs> and a Trump supporter, that we, we accepted this so quickly. Really? <laughs> now, now you say that. That, that. This is after his resignation. Thanks for telling me. That would have been good information to have yesterday. Idiots! It's just unbelievable. And, of course, Mika Brzezinski, she got attacked. Victim shaming. Let me clutch my pearls. It's unbelievable. Leanne Tweeden, a nude model Trump supporter with connections to Sean Hannity and Roger Stone, and a story that makes no sense that's contradicted by actual photos, questioning her is somehow inappropriate. Wow. Nothing dangerous about that. I refer you to um, a a column written by Claire Berlinski, who um, I was hoping to get on the show today, but that didn't work out uh, because she's in Paris. And it's called The Warlock Hunt. And it's in the American interest. If you go to my Twitter page, I, I... tweeted it or retweeted it this morning with the subheadline: the me too moment has morphed into a moral panic that poses as much danger to women as it does to men. Amen to that. But isn't it? Here's what, again, this is much like my USA today column. I exchanged some email with her and she, who's a very prominent writer. She couldn't get a major outlet to publish this. And here she is in Paris, where I'm sure they're laughing their asses off at us. The people that are here are the people that are laughing the most at Al Franken's downfall. Donald Trump is laughing his ass off. Leanne Tweeden is laughing. Bill Clinton is really laughing his ass off. And people in Paris, <laughs> Paris, the people of Paris, Parisians are going, "What the fuck is going on in America?" <laughs> to them, this is the biggest nothing burger of all time. Now, that doesn't mean we should be like, you know, France or Paris, but that's the reality. And she indicated to me that she thought her career is going to be destroyed by her writing this column called The Warlock Hunt. But she's been pleasantly surprised by the reaction, because I do think that there's a bit of a backlash. It's nowhere near a majority, but there is a bit of a backlash from reasonable people, I mean, there's still 33% of every population that has a clue that might go, wait a minute, this feels like we're going way too far here. And uh, But she had a very, very difficult time even getting that published, so check it out at the American Interest. But again, the, the key element of the Franken situation, and, and this is where people are so bad about understanding incentives, and, and, I, and this so reminds me of the Penn State situation. See, nobody can understand why Penn State would have fired Joe Paterno and everybody else and paid out $100 million in settlements unless 
Everyone was guilty, right? Because they would defend themselves, right? They would defend their guy, right? No, that's not the way it works. In fact, it's the opposite. And that's what happened with the Democrats without Franken. The Democrats without Franken have thrown him, at least for now, under the bus because they thought it was to their political advantage, largely because of Roy Moore and Donald Trump. Now, what's going to happen with Roy Moore? He had a good week. (laughs) And he had a good week, not because of anything he did. I mean, his spokespeople did interviews that would have ended the careers of most (laughs) previous politicians, but we're living in end times now, so, you know, anything goes. But he had the great fortune of having one of his primary accusers be represented by Gloria Allred, who is one of the most disgraceful, I even hesitate to call her a human being, one of, the, one of the most disgraceful human beings that has ever been known publicly, that's never been convicted of any major crime. She's a terrible human being, terrible person. She's not credible. She would lie. She would do anything to get on television. She would do anything for a dollar. She clearly is making up for never being asked to the prom in high school. I mean, that's her, her whole life is, is just bathing in insecurity and that's why she always has to be you know, snuggled up. She, she snuggles up to her accusers more than Al Franken does in a selfie uh, just to make sure she gets on television. And, and that's, all, you know, that's how she dictates. That's what dictates who her clients are. Will this client be able to get me on television or not? That's it. That's all that matters to her. And so her, one of her primary clients <clears throat> in the uh, Roy Moore situation this week acknowledged, and it was obvious that there was something weird going on because – Allred was very hesitant to get the yearbook inscription uh, looked at by an independent third party. And it was revealed late this week that, uh, indeed, part of the inscription, I believe the date and location, had been added by the accuser later. Now, Fox News Channel immediately said, Forgery! Oh, she's admitted to forgery! No, that's, that's not... What happened? All I know is what's on the internet. No, that's not that's not what happened, Donald. No, no, it was not. That does not mean that the inscription and the signature are forged. I fully acknowledge it raises questions about why you would do that, but that's not a forgery. And and eventually, Fox News Channel even retracted or corrected that claim that she had admitted a forgery. But it doesn't matter because the people of Alabama who are going to vote for Roy Moore, they will latch on to anything. And this is more than enough, literally more than enough, to for them to latch on to. It's Gloria Allred. It's a story they don't like. Aha! Fox News said she forged the inscription. That means not only is she lying, that means everybody's lying. This whole thing stinks. And we can't have a damn Democrat. We can't have one of those those uh, Negro-loving Democrats in the Senate. So we're going to vote for Roy Moore. Now I don't know for sure that Moore is going to win. I think, I think this he he could end up winning easily. He could end up losing by a small margin. If I had to guess, I'd say he'd win. He was going to win, but it's not. It is not a done deal because this this you know obviously turnout is incredibly difficult to predict in these types of special elections. And the circumstances here are so unique. But interestingly, Donald Trump is throwing all in. He is throwing all in for his base. His base wants Roy Moore, and he doesn't want to lose a Republican vote in the Senate. Of course, you know, could be the same Senate that eventually is hearing his impeachment trial in 2019. So that may or may not have something to do with it. But he went down to not specifically to Alabama, but almost to Alabama, and uh, he endorsed Roy Moore, and he's doing robocalls, and he, he's he's all in now for Roy Moore. I love the poorly educated. I mean, that that's he's with his people. His people have spoken. They want Roy Moore, and Donald Trump does not do anything that his, his people, remember those people? I love the poorly educated. You know, th- those are the people that dictate what Donald Trump's going to do, and the poorly educated have decided that, yep, let's go all in on the uh, the uh, alleged child molester. That that uh, By the way, not just an alleged child molester, a, a religious nut, crazy person, likely racist child abuser. Yeah, but it was 40 years ago. I mean, come on. 
<sighs> Wouldn't it be hilarious, by the way, if more lost? With I mean, what I mean by that is, Donald, think about this: if more loses in Alabama, which is one of Trump's top three states as far as his general election popularity against uh, Hillary Clinton, he would have endorsed the wrong candidate in both the primary and the general election. That's tough to do. That is really tough to do in a state where you're supposedly popular. That's tough to do in a state where you're unpopular. I I mean, in my, I don't have any recollection of a president ever doing that. Where you pick the wrong candidate in your party's own primary, and then in a state that's overwhelmingly in the favor of your party, the candidate you endorsed loses in the general. But that is a very, very, very real possibility. And I've said, and I've written about this, check it out at freespeechbroadcasting.com. I've said, if you're the Democratic Party, why in the world would you want Roy Moore to lose. You should be praying that Roy Moore wins. Roy Moore is worth at least three or four Senate seats, in my opinion. Uh, you know, at least something in that range. At least a couple, maybe more, Senate seats in 2018. You're not going to take over the Senate in, in, uh, in this upcoming year, barring some unbelievable disaster. Uh, which I guess in this world is possible now, but but you know all things being equal, you're not going to take over the Senate until after the next midterm. So what difference does it make? 51, 52, it doesn't make that big of a difference. But next time around, you might have a total tsunami situation running against Donald Trump and Roy Moore as the faces of the Republican Party. It wouldn't shock me if, if Democrats end up doing to Doug Jones what they did to Al Franken, <laughs> knifing him too. Oops, sorry, Doug. We decided you, you were. It was better for us if you were dead. Uh, not not literally. I don't think. Of course, the Hillary haters out there will go. Are you kidding? How many people have the Clintons killed? Okay, whatever. Anyway, um, wrapping things up for this first hour. Uh, speaking of media malpractice, and there's been tons of it, I have to acknowledge that uh, both CNN and now ABC with Brian Ross in the last week have made colossal screw-ups with regard to Trump and the Russia investigation. This one by CNN, I don't even understand how this could happen. But it dealt with the date of an email and Donald Trump Jr. looking for uh, WikiLeaks access. And Dates are important, (laughs) but in this particular situation, they were really important because the story, as CNN told it, was incredibly damning. And then when people just looked at the dates on the email, they go, "Um, no, (laughs) actually, this information was public at that time, and this is absolutely meaningless. Idiots! Now, CNN blamed this on two sources. How does that happen? <laughs> how do, first of all, how do two sources tell you that the email meant one thing when it meant another? But more importantly, can't you just check the dates yourself? Check the dates and do a Google search. Five minutes. Five minutes is all that it would have taken. But see, this is the problem in the news media today. Everybody is so eager to feed the monster, to get it out there as quick as possible, to get it out there on Twitter so it gets a thousand or more, a couple thousand retweets, and everyone goes, ooh, another bombshell, ooh. There's an entire industry involved with this. And with the 24-7 news cycle, there's the never-ending news cycle, there's no time, and frankly, there's not the resources. Because... You know, these people that are working these stories, not to make excuses for them, but this isn't the only thing they're doing. They're doing a whole lot of other stuff. And so they're in a constant rush. There's not the resources there should be. There's not the time there should be. And things fall through the cracks. But this is a big crack to fall through. And it plays right into Donald Trump's hands. Right into Donald Trump's hands with his fake news, fake news, fake news. And people will believe it. 
even though CNN retracted the story. Just like ABC retracted the Brian Ross story and put him on a month-long suspension. Similarly, you know, the, probably the right-wing media has been all of us. Ooh, within Mueller's team, there was a person who, who made an anti-Trump text. Yeah, guess what? He was removed. He was removed months ago. How does that not factor in here? I mean, the stories, well, they shouldn't be, there shouldn't be the mistakes that are being made. They're being corrected. And Mueller got rid of the anti-Trump guy just to make sure there was no contamination or at least actual contamination. But perception is everything now. It's all, it's all it takes is one little misstep and Sean Hannity can lie his way you know, for hours on Fox News Channel and on, on the radio and the cult will buy it because that's what they want to believe. People will always find a way to come to the conclusion that they wanted to come to to begin with. I've always said it's incredibly important and worth repeating. It is far, far easier to dupe people than to convince them they have been duped. And once you've duped them, they, will, they are invested and they will believe anything. That's the essence of a cult. Now, as far as what's going on in the larger picture, there's no question that <laughs> it's amazing to think about this. But nine days ago, Mike Flynn pled guilty. <laughs> to lying to the FBI. And I would say the last nine days have been pretty good for Donald Trump on the Russian investigation. Perception-wise, Mueller has lost credibility. Perception-wise, ABC and CNN have lost credibility. And there hasn't been, you know, frankly, to me, if, if Flynn has flipped, I realize it's difficult to read tea leaves and you've got to be careful about well, maybe if there's something really big, Mueller's keeping it close to the vest. We haven't heard anything really dramatic. And we're getting close to a, sta- a point where the absence of evidence is evidence of absence. And I, I mentioned this last week, and I mentioned this in a column that I wrote. I'm actually inching away now from col- actual real collusion with Russia ever being proven. And I'm more convinced than ever, which I've been convinced for a while, that there are really only two options here when Mueller finally comes forward with whatever report he's going to do or whatever final conclusions or indictments, convictions, what have you, that the end result of this is either very little, which is, I think, quite plausible, that's the pair of threes poker analogy that I've been using, or that he does really have something but can't prove it to the level that would need to be proven, which to the cult would be insane. I mean, you'd be have to have more than OJ level evidence to prove anything to the cult. And that was never going to happen. But my, but I think that the best scenario for Mueller is that he comes forward with a lot of evidence, no quote unquote proof. And it has very little impact because everyone's already decided what they want to believe. And once they've decided what they want to believe, that's it. They'll find whatever they need to substantiate that belief. That's the way people work. And unfortunately, in this era, the Internet age, it's never been easier for that to happen because you can always find something to back up whatever it is you wanted to believe. The truth doesn't matter. All I know is what's on the Internet. You know, that's, that's the reality now. And this is why the truth is dead. And, and one last thing. For Donald Trump, I get he needs to take advantage of the fake news narrative. But for him to be saying that people ought to be fired because they screw up a news report, that's rich. That is really rich. Here's the guy who on numerous occasions over the years has stated on his Twitter feed, extremely reliable sources tell me X, and it turns out to be total bullshit. Most famously, that Barack Obama's birth certificate is fake. And that's just the, the most blatant example. But they're, they're, I mean, almost on a daily basis, Trump says things that are blatantly untrue, factually totally false, and never issues a retraction, never issues a correction. And I've actually had people on Twitter and Facebook say, well, John, he's not a journalist. Are you kidding me? So wait a minute. So the president of the United States should be held to a much lower standard than somebody you've never heard of making 
$45,000 a year at, 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 at CNN? Are you serious? Really? It's just flat out ridiculous. Uh, really? That, that's the lens the cult will go to to protect Donald Trump. That somehow the president of the United States and his credibility is not nearly as important as somebody who works for the news media that you've never even heard of before. Uh, That's just stunning to me. I I shouldn't be stunned because it's the the Trump cult, but that's the way they work. But Trump is living in the most fragile glass house in the world when it comes to criticizing other people for not getting the facts right and never correcting them. That being said... Media malpractice is media malpractice, and it's definitely working to Trump's advantage. And uh, I I maintain that my bottom line prediction, which I've been holding to all along here, is that in 2019, assuming the Democrats take the House, which I think they will in 2018, I think eventually Donald Trump will be impeached, but I do not think he will be removed from office. I'll keep you updated on that prediction. All right, that's it for hour number one, as always. Uh, well, before I ask you the two things, just make sure you listen to hour number two because we've got one of my top five stories of all time I'm going to tell, which you will not want to miss. And then uh, there's only two things I ever ask of you. If you like this podcast, make sure you share it via social media, Twitter, Facebook, what have you, word of mouth, because that's why I do it, just to spread the word, spread the truth, and you can help. So I'd appreciate it if you do that. Number two, if you're one of those people who sleeps, and when you sleep, you use sheets, do yourself a favor and pay attention to this important message. My name's John Ziegler. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com. Coffee? Oh, thanks. How did you sleep? Ugh, like a baby. I don't want to get out of bed, ever. These sheets are mm, incredibly soft. What did you say they're called again? Performance bedding by Sheiks. <laughs> performance bedding? <laughs> yeah. They're made from super high-tech performance fabric. They're incredibly breathable, so you're not waking up at night throwing covers off and then an hour later throwing them back on. Huh. No wonder I slept so good. Since I started using Sheiks, I sleep like a baby. No more sweaty nights for me. No? Well. <laughs> well, I like them because they're soft. They feel like, mm, silk. Performance fabric, huh? Maybe we should... Oh, I don't know. Try them out again. <laughs> <laughs> Comfort and performance for better sleep. That's Sheiks. S-H-E-E-X. Sheiks. Try Sheiks for 30 nights risk-free. Go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com, promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, 1212.